Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. I think that the Federal Reserve right now is painted into a corner in which it has to continue to buy assets to prop up equity markets. It almost has two new mandates to keep you know, valuations of equity markets afloat, and at the same time, suppress interest rates to continue to allow companies to borrow at cheap prices and the government to also borrow at cheap prices. It's a dynamic that we're seeing in which is an explosive mix for precious metals in general. It's a supercharged environment for precious metals, in my view. Any alternative for the monetary system, which Bitcoin would be part of that too. Welcome back to The Breakdown with me, NLW. It's a daily podcast on macro, Bitcoin, and the big picture power shifts remaking our world. The Breakdown is sponsored by Crypto.com, Bitstamp, and Nexo.io, and produced and distributed by Coindesk. What's going on, guys? It is Friday, September 11th, and today I'm really excited to share a conversation with Tavi Costa. You may know Tavi from his Twitter, where he's absolutely prolific, or even from his Instagram, where he is valiantly trying to make Instagram macro a thing. He is a super sharp, high-level market observer. He's a portfolio manager at Crescat Capital. And in this conversation, we discuss the credit exhaustion moment in the engines of global growth, the race to the bottom for fiat currencies, the explosive moment for precious metals, and of course, I ask him his thoughts about Bitcoin. There's no brief today, just this great interview, so I hope you enjoy it. All right, we are back with Tavi Costa. Tavi, thanks so much for joining today. Thanks for having me. Look forward to this conversation. Awesome. So uh, let's start, I guess, just for people who aren't familiar with you, quick personal background and where you find yourself in the macro world today. Sure thing. So I am actually in Denver, Colorado. I was born and raised in Brazil. Uh, I moved to the US maybe 10 years or so ago to play tennis in college, finish up college, start working at Crescat Capital. It's a global macro hedge fund. I started actually as a as an intern back then and uh, and kind of build up my way into uh, into a portfolio manager position. I uh, started from more covering emerging markets and then global macro, and then graduated to uh, more the portfolio side of things, uh, along with Kevin Smith, the co-portfolio manager uh, with me, and, um, and and then became a partner as well. Um, we here at Crescat have uh, five uh, strategies, uh, a global macro, long, short, a large cap, and then we have two other projects uh, or uh, strategies focused only on precious metals, 
One is a hedge fund, another one is a separate managed account, and that kind of gives you an idea of our views. <laughs> that's super helpful, right? It's a that's a good uh, good setup for uh, checking out what people are doing and actually spending their money on, rather than just what they're saying. But uh, we're going to get a lot into to what you guys think today. I think for sure. Um, so let's, uh, what I want to do is you guys have a great, uh, recently published piece, uh, titled a new bull Mac market for precious metals. And I want to come to that, but I want to kind of back into it almost by, by zooming back to 2019. Um, you know, for, for folks who are in the crypto or Bitcoin space, uh, you were on Palms podcast, then you did a number of different shows. So, you know, people might be familiar with, with your take then, but it wasn't like you guys were really confident around the, the, larger macro backdrop going into 2020. So maybe let's go back to 2019. And you know, even before COVID-19, what was giving you pause in the larger global economic environment? Um, sure. I think the one of the biggest things that gave us a high conviction of this whole idea, especially of buying gold and selling stocks, which we became uh, uh, big proponents of that idea, it was the yield curve inversion issue. We've did a lot of comprehensive research on that. And what we found out is that when you when you look at instead of one or two or three spreads in the yield curve, we decided to do more of uh, uh, and look at all of them, uh, all the the possible calculations, which are 45, 45 spreads, um, and and the percentage of those that are actually inverted. And back then, uh, what we figured out was uh, is that somewhere close to sixty percent of those uh, those spreads are actually inverted. And Back then, if you look at do an empirical analysis of what types of assets that tend to perform well during those periods, number one is that, uh, well, first of all, it's a huge uh, warning signal for recession. Uh, it was proven, again, correct. But the second thing was that gold starts to perform better than stocks during those periods that we have those inversions, especially at times when you have this commodities to equity ratio uh, so out of balance, which in this case today we have you know, this this ratio somewhere close to a, a 50 year low. Um, every time we had a low in the past uh, was also marked by a, a significant run up in, in gold prices and other commodities too, but usually led by the precious metal space. Uh, more fundamentally speaking, I think uh, we, we saw a lot of earnings and corporations here in the U.S. is starting to contract already. We had Japan's GDP was already contracting in the fourth quarter. Um, we have the labor market starting to show um, some issues too, and job openings are beginning to drop on a year-over-year basis. We have some um, unemployment rates beginning to rise. I, I love looking at the delta, or in other words, the change in, uh, in, in unemployment rates, because I think it, it's, it's a very good, uh, actually, uh, coincident um, indicator that you can use. And, and, and what you find there is that a lot of the, uh, if you divide it by states, there was a lot of states that were already rising in, that, in those metrics. Um, and so if, if we had, you know, earnings beginning to fall in which uh, would it at, at some point start having an impact on, on, on labor markets, uh, labor markets are perhaps close to a peak level at the time and beginning to fall apart. And, and, and those are all, you know, very important macro signals. Now, the, the other thing that was very important was consumer confidence was at all time highs back then. Um, and, and those are all very important uh, contrarian indicators of, of, of what was happening back then. At the same time as we have valuations getting you know larger and larger nowadays even larger um, given the monetary policy response we've had since the the COVID um, and so that's kind of how we began to really uh, dive into this precious metals part of the trade which was you know this this whole idea of the yield curve inversion led us to look at the gold to S and P five hundred ratio and a lot of people when they think about gold 
they think it's only gold, and, and it's not. I mean, we're looking at the most asymmetric bets you can get into gold, and most asymmetric bets you can get into shorting stocks and most overvalued stocks you can find, rather than just buying gold and, and shorting the S&P. So I think that that's kind of how we develop our thoughts about the markets um, and, and where we are today. Super interesting. So I, I want to go back to a couple things. It was funny, actually, when I was thinking about questions to ask you, part of the challenge right now is it's like that question that I asked, right? What was giving you pause? It's it's almost easier to ask what wasn't giving you pause? What isn't a cause for concern right now um, in, in so many ways? But I want to hone in on that, uh, the contrarian indicator of consumer confidence. Just for, for people who might not be familiar with why that might be a, a, a negative single signal, what is the, what is sort of the, the, the history of that as a as an indicator for you, I, I think there's so many things. Number one, it's it's the same idea with peak earnings as well. We we had a you know uh, margins are at their highest levels, and usually uh, you you hear a lot of uh, bulls or optimistic uh, views in the markets of you know margins are great right now. But when when and that's the point. I mean, you you can't have another positive surprise uh, to uh, to to really uh, continue to lead to higher um, higher prices um, for for asset assets in general, and it's the same idea with, with consumer confidence. If you chart consumer confidence with the S and P 500, you can see very clearly that uh, when consumer confidence is at a peak, uh, usually you're at the peak of the market too. Nowadays, actually, consumer confidence is absurdly low. Um, and again, those are all you know. I, that's why I think it's important to look at a, a aggregate of a lot of macro indicators to have an opinion. Uh, I've never seen, for instance, a bull market at, at its uh, very early stages for equity markets with record valuations. I think today is the first time we have such a depressed fundamental story for equities at the same time as equity prices are all time highs. And I understand a lot of people talk about, you know, the equity markets is discounting uh, mechanism of, of future cash flows and so forth. But um, even if you look at throughout history, we've never seen such a divergence and disconnect between fundamentals and prices. And so I think it's uh, uh, pretty unique where we're going through. And, and it's, it's certainly product of free money and, and the policies we've seen in the fiscal and the monetary side. Um, but I think that that would be the answer is that consumer confidence, when everything is great, it's, it's just like labor markets as well. Labor markets, consumer confidence and, and margins are great contrarian indicators that you can see throughout history that actually are, are great ways to, to find turning points in the economy. It's, you know, things can't get much better than what they are. And that's why uh, it's about time for, for, use, uh, for us to see a, a downturn in the cycle. And that's, that's pretty usual, actually, throughout history. So one of the things that you just mentioned is this gulf between fundamentals and prices, but there another gulf almost between uh, almost narrative expectation around markets, but willingness to play the game. And I wonder how much you think what part of what we're seeing right now are folks who maybe share a kind of similar medium and long-term outlook uh, as you do or you know as as skeptics do but who also feel like they have to participate in the bubble for as long as it lasts right there are a lot of folks who feel like they heightened their career risk in April and May by being too bearish as people piled back in even though it seemed insane do you think that that's a, a factor right now? 
Yes, and, and you know, we were also very bearish, still at the March lows, uh, by the way. And even though we cover a lot of our shorts and we were short the entire year, we've been short the entire year, uh, and our precious metals uh, side of things worked out very well. But this buy the dip mentality is is still, you know, very strong uh, in a, a narrative that had worked uh, incredibly well throughout the years. And I feel like, uh, you know, what we didn't have so far was the retail investors becoming more or participating more in this in this market. Uh, we didn't have much of that five years ago, and I, certainly we're seeing that today. Uh, again, I think that's all linked to the policies we've seen so far. You know, the amount of people that are unemployed but making more money than they used to when they were employed uh, is is astonishing and certainly having an impact in equity markets. Sure, retail investors don't move the market the same way that institutions, but certainly there is an euphoric uh, narrative uh, being uh, in the markets in general. I think what a lot of people are missing, in my view, is more of the structural problems in the economy related to the debt uh, problems that we have in, in corporations and, and the government as well. I think there's no way out of this uh, aside from inflation. Uh, and the real question is, when are we going to see that kind of uh, that, that kind of response or consequences from the policies we've seen so far? Uh, I, I, I think that the Federal Reserve right now is, is, is painted into a corner in which it has to be continue to buy assets um, to prop up equity markets. It almost has two new mandates is, is to keep you know, valuations of equity markets afloat and at the same time suppress interest rates to continue uh, to, uh, you know, to allow companies to borrow at cheap prices and the government to also um, uh, borrow at cheap prices. And, and so I think this is all... Um, happening at the same, which I call this uh, a, um, it's a, it's a dynamic that we're seeing uh, in which is, is an explosive mix uh, for, for precious metals in general. It's a supercharged environment for precious metals in my view. Uh, and any monetary, uh, alter, any alternative for the monetary system, which Bitcoin would be part of that too. Uh, I hope I answered your question, but I think that's, uh, this is a, a little bit of how the macro scenario is playing out today in my view. Yeah, so it's interesting. So I, I want to maybe let's let's go into this new bull market for precious metals thesis, give you a chance to actually articulate it in full. But I, I want to highlight that uh, you, you had a great line in that, which you just echoed, which was financial markets simply cannot withstand higher interest rates. We believe the Fed has been forced into a new mandate to suppress yields at all cost. And I think that idea of forced into a new mandate is is really resonant. But uh, maybe maybe you could just kind of share the overarching thesis of this uh, of this piece. Absolutely. It, it's funny to look back in history of central banks and how their mandate was always uh, to, uh, you know, inflation was always their, a huge part of their mandate. And, and what is interesting is that, you know, in, interest rates in general were actually set uh, according to the scarce, uh, how scarce uh, in general was uh, the amount of gold. Um, and, and if that was the case today, we would see uh, gold, you know, and interest rates at much higher, uh, much higher levels. Um, I think that what is what is happening with this new bull market for precious metals is certainly the supercharged environment is what leads to everything. It's it's this uh, expansion of the monetary base uh, from the Federal Reserve in order to buy assets in general, especially government bonds, uh, in which you know we would expect that to suppress long-term rates at the same time as you expand monetary base. And that creates this explosive, explosive environment for precious metals in general. At the same time as you have precious metals as an asset class 
you know, being out of favor for so long, you know, in decades in the 70s and 80s, you know, precious metals was a huge part of portfolio construction. And nowadays it's all about risk parity. Um, and, and I think that that's about a change. Um, there's, you know, there are other, other situations in which how do you look and how do you value precious metals in general to really come up with the thesis that we're early in the early, early stages of a bull market? Well, I think that the best way is to look at the alternatives of assets. And one of them would be equities. And when you look at equity earnings in the real terms, in other words, subtracting by inflation rates today, there's many ways to look at inflation rates by 10-year break-even, which is inflation expectation. You can look at CPI. You can look at median CPI. There's plenty of ways you can see that we're at decade lows in terms of real earnings yield for equities today. And every time we reach those levels in the past of you know extreme lows, gold actually outperform equity. So that's number one. Corporate bonds are also, you know, if you look in real terms as well, I just put out a chart on the Twitter on that. It's very interesting. It's an unprecedented lows today in terms of real ter- in real terms. It's at a negative level. And it, it's insane. You know, conceptually, uh, people are giving money to corporations at record low yields or less than inflation rate for companies that are absurdly leveraged today in, in historical levels. So that part makes no sense. And the only reason why... Uh, we're seeing this is because of manipulation of governments in general. Well, the the, the government on its own, it's absurdly leveraged. And, and at the same time, is is it being able to borrow money at record low uh, cost of capital. So I think this is all uh, this is all coming along at, at the same time as you have this lows in, in commodities to equity ratio, uh, which was a huge reason why we haven't seen inflation in my in my opinion. It's a major reason. Uh, the last decade or so, we had oil, iron ore, copper. Everything was down, essentially, uh, throughout the whole decade. Um, and, and, and that certainly has an impact on product and, and service uh, costs in general. I think I highly doubt that the next, ten, the next decade, the next 10 years will, will look the same way. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I think hard assets are going to start outperforming. And that's going to create an inflationary environment and give it another reason for people to look for you know, uh, any investment that serves as an alternative of the monetary system. Um, but but the other part that I think is, is huge is, is on the whole supply and demand uh, function of, of precious metals. When you look at gold today, there is a lack of investments on exploration. And, and also we haven't seen almost no, re- no discoveries in the last decade or so of, of gold and silver. And this sets up a very bullish scenario. You look at the capital spending of the whole mining industry. It's the first time in history that CapEx in aggregate has been diverging from metal prices. If you look throughout history, when metal prices rise, miners tend to get very optimistic, so they spend more money. Um, And and that's not the case today because we went through a 10-year bear market for precious metals uh, stocks in general. And what's happening is that is that a lot of them actually had to become a lot more conservative. So we've seen clean balance sheets across across a lot of the miners. Uh, we're seeing no equity dilution as we've seen in the past. And those, you know, that the whole industry has a very bad reputation of being capital destroyers. I, I think that that's, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people are seeing that and not uh, not seeing an opportunity in the following months or in years uh, for this whole industry. And I think that this is changing. Uh, I think actually that industry looks a lot cleaner in terms of balance sheet and a lot stronger than a lot of other uh, industries and sectors in, in, this, in, in the whole economy. I think there's a big chance this might be the new growth stock environment uh, is going to be in the, mining, in the mining space in general because there's no fundamental growth in any other sector of the economy. 
But that, you know, this would be probably the premise of a lot of our views, aside from what's happening in the government with a part of uh, uh, another technical issue with, with, uh, with um, the Treasury issuance that I can get into, too. What's going on, guys? I'm excited to share that one of this month's breakdown sponsors is Crypto.com. Crypto.com offers one of the most cost-efficient ways to purchase crypto out there, as they've just waived the 3.5% credit card fee for all crypto purchases. What's more, with Crypto.com's MCO Visa card, you can get up to 10% back on things like food and grocery shopping. When you buy gift cards with the Crypto.com app, you can get up to 20% back. Download the Crypto.com app today and enjoy these offers until the end of September. Bitstamp is the original global cryptocurrency exchange. Since 2011, Bitstamp has been the preferred exchange for serious traders and investors. Trusted by over 4 million customers, including top financial institutions. Bitstamp is built on professional-grade trading technology. Their platform is powered by a NASDAQ matching engine, and their APIs are recognized as the best in the industry. Download the Bitstamp app from the App Store or Google Play, or visit bitstamp.net slash pro to learn more and start trading today. That's bitstamp.net slash pro. In this crisis, many investors aim to keep and grow their digital assets. Others seek to maximize the yield on their cash. Nexo allows you to achieve exactly these two goals. The company offers instant crypto credit lines against all major cryptocurrencies, with interest rates starting from only 5.9% APR. Nexo also lets you earn up to 10% annually on your fiat and digital assets. What's more, interest is paid out daily, and you can add or withdraw funds at any time. Get started at nexo.io. I want to kind of highlight a point that you made because I think it's really important. Most people who are just kind of passive observers of this tend to lump precious metals in simply the safe haven bucket, right? And part of your argument that I think is really important is that there is a narrative shift happening where people aren't just looking to that sector as a safe haven, but as a new sort of source of growth and value. And part of that has to do with the comparative underinvestment in uh, in kind of the industries that surround it, right? Yes, absolutely. I think I think a lot of investors that have been looking at the you know the traditional uh, tech stocks as a, as a growth environment, which certainly you know there's a lot of software companies that have been growing at, at, at very uh, attractive um, uh, levels and, and rates uh, that we haven't seen in other industries. The problem is those multiples that they've been. Uh, put on and pricing in the markets are absurd. Uh, some of those trading at 50 times what they are projected to make in sales in 2021, 2022. Um, and, you know, it makes no sense. Why are you paying, you know, uh, for a miner today, a, a junior producer, uh, you're probably paying five, you know, five times free cash flow for that same business. And I, I think that that's, you know, that's probably the value proposition of, of, of miners. A lot of people, unfortunately, see um, gold and precious metals as more of a defensive part of your of a bucket of your portfolio. I can see gold being that, but certainly silver and 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 precious metal stocks are not so much your defensive stock at all. I think that those are where you're going to be looking for growth in the next you know five years or so. I think exploration businesses are interesting. I think junior producers are interesting. Senior producers look interesting. All of those are growing. It's the only industry that I know of that is showing free cash flow growth of 
over 100 and plus percent uh, this last quarter. Um, we didn't see that even on the NASDAQ. NASDAQ actually earnings are declining. Um, and so I think I think the opportunity here for investors in general, um, one thing I was talking to uh, Kevin, my partner, that I think is a, is a huge deal is, is this narrative shift that we're probably about to see, which has to do a lot with the cost of capital. Um, in, in the last 10 years, I think there's a lot of factors uh, that worked uh, that were not related to profitability. And that's because of how low interest rates were and how free money in general allowed a lot of companies that haven't made any money um, to survive in this environment for so many years, reporting negative free cash flow quarterly. Um, you know, Netflix would be a huge one, uh, Uber and Lyft and so forth. Now, I think the next 10 years, if we do have cost of capital rising at some point, I think profitability is going to start to matter. And I think that's where a lot of those uh, mining companies will start to uh, to shine here in terms of literally uh, to shine in, in terms of, of not just fundamentally, but with their margins improving significantly with metal prices increasing. And a lot of those companies actually have operations outside of the U.S. with the depreciation of currencies overall across the globe with this you know, a uh, uh, race to the bottom of fiat currencies that should help their costs to be reduced as well at the same time. It's almost like two forces improving their size. The costs are being reduced and the, the, the products that they're selling are also improving in prices. So their margins are likely to expand going forward. Um, and I think we're at the beginning of a bubble for precious metal stocks. And, you know, I have, I see no problems investing at the early stages of a bubble but I think this is gonna this is gonna go crazy for the next in the next few years, and you know, silver and gold, especially silver, is probably the cheapest metal uh, in, on Earth today, and I, I think that's still the case right now, uh, especially relative to money supply. So there you have it. I couldn't be more bullish in the space. <laughs> <laughs> is uh, so is this the actual significance of Buffett's bet? Because when that first happened, people were like, oh, he's finally into gold. But then the counterpoint or just maybe the one layer deeper point was like, look, this is about cash flow. Buffett likes looking for cash flow. And that's the thing that you're missing here. Do you think that that's the real significance there? Sure. I think I certainly do. I think, you know, for a lot of the miners, especially the senior, uh, producers that already have uh, cons- consistently proven uh, produ- production for so many years, um, those d- don't even need gold prices to rise much further. Uh, right now, those guys are extremely profitable, uh, and especially because they went through a period when you know they had to be reducing costs. And, and so uh, their, their margins are at, at, at this levels are supposed to, <laughs> to be expanding significantly. And believe it or not, this last quarter, even though metal prices have increased significantly too, we didn't see much equity dilution. And we actually saw companies paying down their debt. Um, so we're seeing improvements in almost all fronts of miners. And that's kind of what you see at the early stages of a bull market for this, uh, for this industry. It's certainly symbolic what Buffett did. Uh, in a, in a very uh, interesting way, and I, I think I think there's a lot, you know certainly leads to a lot of other value investors that you know the whole approach of value investing has been so much out of favor, uh, especially for the issue of profitability not mattering um, in the last decade or so. But there's you know some other investors that I think are starting to come along in the last few years. You know Ray Dalio talking a lot about gold, uh, especially, and and some other you know Druck Miller and Paul Tudor Jones and so forth. I think a lot of investors that see this macro macro picture know that 
there's really no way around this uh, besides inflation. Uh, and inflation doesn't necessarily mean rising consumer prices, but a lot of times it means, you know, debasing your currency. Um, so I, I don't know another way around this, but I, I think the Federal Reserve has to continue to print money to fund fiscal stimulus. Uh, I don't see the situation improving anytime soon. And the big risk for all this, there's always a risk, is if we are in the early stages of a bull market for equity markets in general and also for the beginning of the of an economic cycle here, which I don't think we're going to see organic economic growth in the next few months. Uh, given the levels of debt that we have reached, especially after the pandemic. And so, you know, uh, it's very difficult to say. I think we've reached a credit exhaustion uh, moment here, uh, globally speaking, uh, especially at the engines of the world in terms of, uh, of global growth. Uh, China, US, Europe, uh, Japan, Australia, Canada, all those are highly indebted. And the emerging markets obviously don't have, you know, can't really handle anything in terms of growth globally. So I think that those economies have reached levels, absurd levels of debt. And it's going to be very difficult to see organic economic growth to really disrupt this bull market for gold, silver, precious metals in general. So uh, let's talk a little bit about silver, because like I said, I think even folks who kind of passively follow gold might not have a sense of where silver fits into this whole picture. You called it the most uh, undervalued precious metal in the world. Could you expand on that just a little? Yes, I think silver has so many attributes to why it's cheap today. Um, you can look at first relative to money supply, and that's one way to um, to to sort of uh, price silver. And you can see silver relative to N2 money supply today is, is at near record lows. When you look at that versus, let's just say, equities, S&P 500 versus M2 money supply, you see quite the opposite. You see, you know, a, a peak that is actually uh, retesting the tech bubble levels. Um, now, you can also see another way. If you look at silver relative to Russell 3000, um, is is also at a at a at a double bottom today, uh, in which it also reached that same level back in the tech bubble uh, situation. There's a, a lot of similarities in terms of valuations of tech uh, of the tech sector uh, relative to uh, to um, uh, to the tech bubble. Um, another another situation that is important to point out is is the gold to silver ratio. Um, during 2011, at the peak of the 2011. Uh, we got close to 31 at that ratio. We are so far from that right now. And I think we could, you know, there's significant growth for silver relative to gold as well, which I think could be huge. Um, and, you know, when you look at this parabolic move that we have started to see recently on silver, um, when you look back in the late uh, 2008, when we had the Federal Reserve printing somewhere close to one or uh, close to $1.2 trillion in four months, Silver went parabolic for the next two years or so, um, and you know I think I think there's a huge probability that that could happen again. Uh, the difference is that you know we're today in terms of gold to silver ratio at much much lower levels uh, or higher levels, I should say. And so the opportunity I had for silver, it's much more depressed than it used to be in a way. Uh, number one and number two, we have so much more money in the system relative to what we had back in a way as well. So. Uh, and again, it goes back to the valuations of equities in which, you know, the lack of opportunity of, of assets that can provide growth in an environment where we have, you know, negative interest rates across the globe, over $15 trillion of government, of sovereign debt, uh, trading a negative with negative interest rates, um, you know, that makes investors look for appreciation of, of, of prices, investing for appreciation of price versus uh, interest rates in general. So, 
I think that uh, you know gold and silver will begin to really uh, become part of, especially large allocators such as pension funds and so forth that have not really invested in places like that. And you know, silver miners, you know, just silver miners have, uh, you know, they they're gone. A lot of those guys used to have their names, you know, silver used to be all over uh, company names, and they all had to change their names to, you know, precious metals, uh, focus rather than silver. Um, first of all, it's very difficult to find, you know, a, a very pure a silver produ- producer uh, across the globe today. Uh, a lot of that is is through byproduct, and a lot of those are actually came from copper mines that have closed down recently. And silver does have this more industrial uh, aspect to it, uh, and and the whole reason it, why is is more industrialized is because of the price. Uh, if the price of silver goes up to $50 an ounce, you can be sure that that's not going to be as cyclical as it had been in the past. It's going to become more, uh, it's going to bring more of its monetary system aspect to it versus its industrial side of things. And it will become more of a safe haven as, as gold has become uh, throughout the years. And it's important to remember, silver was a huge part of the monetary system centuries and centuries ago, especially during the early stages of globalization um, in, in the beginning of, of, of the history of, of economics in general. Um, you know, silver coins were the whole reason why we saw the first uh, the first moments of, of globalization in the world, where the Western world used to sell goods and services uh, to uh, uh, to the Eastern world in Europe, especially. And 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 you know, silver coins are the whole reason why uh, we're capable of doing that. Um, and so, I think I think this could all come back. I'm not saying we're going to be using silver coins uh, uh, to exchange goods and services, but certainly silver has a credibility, much higher credibility. Uh, than other goods that uh, nowadays have been used as part of the monetary system or alternatives for that. Um, and, you know, I, I think that that's, uh, you know, in my view, it is the cheapest uh, metal in the world today. And I think it's a huge opportunity. It's interesting. Uh, in 1896, there was a hugely famous presidential campaign in the U.S. Uh, between uh, McKinley, who's the Repu- Republican who eventually won, and William Jennings Bryan, who got famous for a, a speech that's called the Cross of Gold speech. And basically, uh, back then, the the populists were arguing that the gold standard, the kind of de facto gold standard, because it wasn't an official gold standard that was in use in the United States, which was largely in use to trade with Britain and the UK, was negatively impacting uh, people on the ground, right? The, the the poorest people because they couldn't get enough of the currency, and silver was part of the answer. It was this whole campaign, the entire central issue of the of the campaign was bimetallism, which is so fascinating to think about how much monetary policy impacts elections now or doesn't really impact elections now but it's it's never far away from the surface um anyways i was just i was rereading it the other day and you know your comments on silver made me think of it uh, yes i mean you know this this whole thing with with uh, credit in the economy is, is is something very recent of the last few decades or so you know looking back in history it certainly unlocked a lot of value for uh for assets in general especially equity markets um, I mean, there are so many reasons why we've had, you know, a, a long bull market for equities. And I, I don't think that's going to be the end of, of, of investing in equities in general. I just think there is a natural business cycle in which, given the amount of imbalances that we have in the system today, you know, precious metals are becoming more and more attractive relative to equities. And so it's the whole idea of buy gold and sell stocks, but it's a lot deeper than that. I just say that just because it's simple and it's easy to understand. 
but you know, certainly there's so many ways you can, you can uh, expose yourself to that theme, that whole idea. It's a, it's a very interesting investment thesis for us. And I think, honestly, I think it's, it's, uh, it's probably one of the best uh, uh, investment ideas I've had in the last few years. And I think it will probably play out in the, in the next two to three years. That's the whole goal. Yeah, it's interesting. Do you think, I know this isn't kind of at the core of of your investment thesis, but do you think that this narrative shift from looking at things as safe havens to also uh, getting growth in a world where it's seeming harder to get growth elsewhere has the potential to impact interest in Bitcoin? Oh, yes. I think Bitcoin is, 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 is very similar to the mining space uh, in a lot of ways, given the size of the whole industry and the, the size of Bitcoin itself, market cap is just so small relative to uh, other alternatives of, of the monetary system. If I believe gold could be value at much higher valuations, let's just say take it at 20 trillion or so, I mean, Bitcoin could be worth much more. Uh, it's, it's fascinating to me that, for instance, when you look at Apple's market cap, is about three and a half times the size of the whole precious metals industry. That's no different than Bitcoin. And, you know, you don't need a lot of inflows in terms of capital to move the needle here in terms of opportunity. The problem is a lot of people see this as, as an opportunity, certainly, but end up playing, putting their entire capital into this idea. And it certainly has a huge potential, but it's very volatile, just like miners. You know, and so I, I think every investor has to size it up properly. Uh, and we do as well. And, and miners, you know, can go down significantly during the March lows there. I, I remember some of the miners are down 70 percent, um, you know, in, in, in a month. Uh, sure, it was a very unprecedented type of drop in equity markets and, and financial markets overall. But uh, and it could happen again. Uh, but, you know, I think I think that that is a, a very interesting um, opportunity for for investors in general. Why would you ever, you know, I'm not, and this is not a bash Apple uh, by no means. I, I really think Apple is actually one of the best companies uh, that we're seeing out there in terms of, you know, free cash flow yield and the multiples that we're seeing, even though it hasn't really grown uh, its bottom line as, as other companies have. Uh, but, you know, the whole point here is, you know, I just believe that the, the potential, the asymmetry for those trades of Bitcoin, uh, and especially precious metals uh, miners in general is is very very interesting. Um, the, the the one great thing about miners is the history uh, that you can get data you know for decades and decades ago, and you kind of know how that actually works out in the past. I mean, during the periods of uh, confiscation of gold back in, in in the Great Depression or so, you know how did how did uh, gold perform or silver? Well, a lot of people started to buy silver at those times. And also begin to buy miners. Miners actually disconnected from the equity markets back then, which is very interesting. It's a thesis that no one believes today. Everyone thinks that if the equity markets falls apart, miners will fall apart along with it. Sure, it's very possible. But there is a huge opportunity here that this disconnect could happen again. And I'm not calling for a confiscation of gold again. I'm just saying, uh, you know, as investors begin to really realize the asymmetry to the trade and the opportunity of fundamental growth going forward, I think the mining industry, uh, you know, could certainly, and Bitcoin could certainly disconnect from equity markets in a huge way. 
And I, you know, I don't know if it's going to be a, a lost decade for equities. I don't want to be coined saying anything like that because who knows? Um, you know, we could be, you know, who knows if we're going to have a, a hyperinflation environment. I don't know how, how the Federal Reserve is going to continue to react in the following years. It's been pretty extreme what we've seen so far, which with companies already outperforming hyperinflated Venezuelan stocks, which is crazy. Tesla just did that in the last year. And, you know, that could certainly happen. I don't know. But uh, um, I just see a massive opportunity ahead of us on in this whole space. And I think uh, I think uh, investors uh, still are not giving a full look at this industry. And, and I think, you know, Bitcoin could certainly uh, be impacted in a positive way as well here. So let's bring this up to to today and maybe close on kind of what you're focused on now. On September 3rd, you wrote, as toppy as it gets, financial conditions are flashing warning signals for stocks. And of course, we saw a, you know, a pretty pretty significant uh, move down the end of last week, the beginning of this week, and we've kind of leveled out now. But you know, uh, besides just the current state of the stock market, what are the signals are you watching? How much are you paying attention to things like the ECB presser today? I mean, what you know, uh, maybe what are some of the the lesser lesser observed signals that you think are really important to be paying attention to as we go forward? That's a really good question. I think the ECB, I was just listening to the whole, uh, to the whole speech, and uh, my, my biggest takeaway is that clearly countries in general cannot afford uh, their currencies to, to be too strong. And, and that proves the point that we're in the race to the bottom for fiat currencies in general. And it proves the point again, it's, it's not about uh, it's not about so much about you know uh, the dollar declining. It's about every single currency in the world today looks fundamentally weaker than gold. And 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 it's important to look at gold because gold is the big giant that moves other markets linked to gold. And Bitcoin could be certainly linked to that as well, along with you know silver and precious metal stocks in general. Um, I think that you asked me what what I'm looking at. I think there's a, a unfortunately a lot of investors are looking at one side of things and seeing a huge amount of liquidity from the Federal Reserve by uh, you know QE first of all the balance sheet increase that we've seen so far it's been uh, astronomic it's been something nobody has really uh, foreseen uh, in the speed and 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 the size of 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 the money printing that we've seen so far I think uh, it surprised. Everyone, I mean, I, I was expecting some sort of increase, but not the same level we saw in such a short period of time. Um, and so, but what is important here is, is the amount of treasury issuance that is sucking all this liquidity out of the market. And a lot of investors are not seeing that. Uh, you know, I was just looking at about 70% of the last uh, treasury issuances that funded all this amount of debt that we increased since the pandemic in the last 12 months. Actually, 70% of that debt that they issued is going to mature in the next 12 months. There's about $5 trillion today of bills outstanding. Bills, for anybody who doesn't know, are treasuries that actually uh, will expire in the short term. And if you look at the other tenors across the, across the treasury market, about uh, $8.5 trillion will be, ex- uh, will be maturing by the end of 2021. And so... You know, this debt, the government is not in a position where it can pay off its debt. So it's, this debt is probably going to have to be rolled. Um, and as it gets rolled, and I'm not saying there's not a strong demand for treasuries. There's cer- certainly demand for that today. Um, but more and more, the Federal Reserve is going to have to participate in those insurances, as we've seen so far, and fund this fiscal stimulus. And so the the, the monetary stimulus have been sucked into this uh, this uh, funding uh, dynamic with the, with the 
with the governments. Um, and I think this is happening worldwide, certainly more in the U.S., given its, its status as a reserve currency allows them to do a little more. Um, but, you know, I think I think this is uh, this is going to be an issue in, in the following uh, in the following years. And if the Federal Reserve is going to participate in a bigger way into this, I think, you know, the, the, the size of the balance sheet is going to be even a lot bigger uh, in, in the following years. And that's just considering that, you know, the deficit situation doesn't get any worse than it is right now, which I'm not sure if I agree with that assumption. And I'm not sure if if I don't if I agree that the debt the debt situation also won't get a lot worse going forward. In the last month, for instance, the debt uh, amount that increased in the federal federal debt increased by about two hundred billion dollars in one single month. I mean, these are just huge numbers. Um, and you know, when you look at the, the the amount of people taking unemployment claims today, uh, the insurance claims, it's about twenty nine million. That number just went up again today, about you know four hundred. A thousand people or so, you know, 29 million people out of a 200 million labor force. I mean, it's pretty significant. And, you know, those levels kind of tell you that maybe even if it goes back to 20 million, that's well above what it was back in 08 after the global financial crisis. So that tells you that, that deficits, you know, extreme deficits are here to stay here for longer. Free money is probably here to stay for a little longer. Until we see the eyes of inflation, and when we do, that's going to limit everything else. And I think equities are going to have a very hard time when we see that. Well, Tavi, this is awesome stuff. I really appreciate you spending some time today to uh, talk through this all. For people who want to follow along with your ideas and thoughts, where can they find you? Um, so I'm pretty active on Twitter uh, at Tavi Costa. I'm actually having a an account on uh, Instagram now. It's at Tavi Costa Macro. And I also post stuff on LinkedIn as well. And I suggest everyone to look at our website at Cresket.net. It's where we post most of our letters and more in-depth research. Uh, but thanks again for having me. I, I really enjoy this conversation. Yeah, thanks for joining. And uh, we will talk to you more soon. Reflecting on that conversation, there are two things that I keep coming back to. The first is this idea that there is a shift in the narrative for precious metals. Instead of being just pure play safe havens, people are now thinking about them as something closer to growth and value opportunities. I think this is a really interesting observation. In a no-yield world, people want things with cash flow, right? Potentially, these domains like precious metals that are historically safe, but opportunities within them like miners which have cash flow and clean balance sheets could be really strong investments. I think this same narrative idea of looking for safe haven areas that have growth and upside potential could provide a tailwind for things like Bitcoin as well. Now, the second thing I keep thinking about is Tavi's idea about the comparative exposure of different assets. The example that he used was Apple's market cap being 3.5 times all of precious metals. Meanwhile, it's almost exactly 10 times that of Bitcoin. It doesn't take much capital to flow from a big overcrowded trade like that into something like Bitcoin for it to make huge moves. Anyways, guys, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Tavi. I will put his links in the show notes. And as always, I appreciate you listening. Until tomorrow, be safe and take care of each other. Peace.